this is Adam Smith calling from the website of the Nobel Prize in Stockholm. Many congratulations. Yes, well, thank you very much. Indeed, it's been a, it's been a wonderful surprise. A lovely surprise, long-awaited recognition, or a bit of a nuisance. The news of a Nobel Prize can be received in many different ways, but it's almost always life-changing. This is a special bonus episode of Nobel Prize Conversations, where we celebrate the 2021 Nobel Prize announcements. Beginning on October the 4th, it will be time to reveal a new batch of awarded discoveries and achievements. And there's a group of extraordinary people, the 2021 Nobel Prize laureates, who will find themselves in the spotlight. For this unique episode, the interviewer becomes the interviewee. Our guest is Adam Smith, Chief Scientific Officer at Nobel Prize Outreach. Our host this time is Karin Svensson, the producer of Nobel Prize Conversations. Since 2006, Adam has been tasked with calling each new Nobel Prize laureate on the day of the announcement, very occasionally even bringing them the news of the prize. It has just been announced in Stockholm that you are one of the recipients of the 2016 Nobel Prize in Physics. Jesus, that's incredible. <laughs> that's amazing. For the conversation, Adam Smith has retreated to a quiet corner of his home in London's Primrose Hill to talk about reluctant laureates, the kindness of strangers, and the world's best laugh. But we begin at the beginning. So since 2006, you've had the task of interviewing the new Nobel laureates right after they've been given the news that they've been awarded the prize. And how did this become your job? I have absolutely no idea. <laughs> I came to um, the Nobel organisations in an odd way that uh, my dad uh, told me once that I shouldn't worry about what kind of career I was going to have because somebody would offer me a job in a pub one day that I wanted. And I sort of went through life believing this and it never happened. And then later on I realised that he himself never went to pubs so he probably didn't know what went on in pubs. But actually, that's how this did happen. I was having lunch with a director who was a friend, and we were just talking about things in general, and somehow that turned into writing a report on some editorial things for Nobel. And uh, then I found myself working for them. And then, again over lunch, somebody said, why don't you do these announcement interviews, which we'd like to do um, if we can, but we have to put in a journalist for it, and it doesn't always work. So um, why don't you pick up the phone on the announcement days and see if you can get them? So that's how it began, and I don't seem to seem to have looked back since then. <laughs> so, so how much do you prepare, and how much happens in the moment during these talks? You can't really prepare much. Um, <laughs> the laureates themselves are pretty unprepared, so it's two unprepared people talking to each other. You don't really need to prepare, because what you are reacting to is their happiness and the citation, which tells you what the prize is for. And then just, I suppose, finding out how they feel about the moment. It's very easy to ask them about their work, and indeed it's a kind of safe thing to do, because in that moment many of them are 
a little bit surprised and confused. And if you give them something that they really know, like their work to talk about, then they feel they're back on safe territory and they can just sort of go into cruise control mode and just talk. (laughs) So um, from my side, you don't need to prepare. You just need to be there and listen to them. But it seems like you have quite a solid background as preparation as well. Can you tell me a little bit about your scientific background? Yeah, my scientific background looked at in reverse direction looks as if I prepared quite well because I've done lots of different bits of science. Lived in a sort of forward direction. It was just a, a utter confusion, really. I started as out as a chemist, um, a physical scientist, and I became interested in life sciences. And I went off and got training in um, anatomy and physiology and molecular biology. And then I tried to bring all these different things together in a kind of interdisciplinary lab for a while. And it was great fun, but it was a little bit unfocused. And the more laureates I talked to, the more I realised just how unfocused I was in contrast to their extraordinary focus. But anyway, it's all that training and then um, subsequently training, working in science publishing as an editor and publisher, exposed me to a lot of different science. And so I suppose that helps when listening to people talk about physics and chemistry and biology. Uh, I'm not sure how useful it is when listening to people talk about peace and uh, literature, but uh, <laughs> that's for other people to judge. But but listening to these calls, I'm really struck by the joy that some of the laureates express, and it can be really infectious, like like the call with 2014 medicine laureate, Maybrit Moser, or 2019 chemistry laureate, John Goodenough. And uh, if we were to listen to one of those, which would you most like to listen to? (laughs) Well, everybody likes to listen to John Goodenough's laugh. Indeed, I think somebody put together a one-hour tape of him laughing in sort of um, just endless loop. And uh, you can listen to it for a long time. It's the best laugh anyone's ever heard. And here it is. Hello. Hello, this is Adam Smith calling from the website of the Nobel Prize in Stockholm. Many congratulations. Yes, well, thank you very much. Indeed, it's been a it's been a wonderful surprise. It's quite a day um, receiving the world's oldest scientific prize in London, and then hearing about the Nobel Prize on the same day. Yes, it's quite a day. Yes, it is. <laughs> <laughs> this puts you in the company of everybody, of Darwin, of Einstein, you name it. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, you live long enough, you never know how it's going to come out. <laughs> Well, uh, since you mention it, I guess people will be asking you a lot about the fact that you are the oldest ever person to be awarded the Nobel Prize. How do you feel about that? Well, I'm very happy to have been able to live this long. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> <laughs> have you have you any have you any secret to impart for a long life in research? No, I I, I just say don't retire too early. <laughs> Our technician has got the biggest smile on her face right now. So like everyone listening, I suppose, how does that make you feel? (laughs) Well, I'm beaming as well. Um, Lovely man, lovely man. I mean, the fact that he had, he was in London receiving a prize from the Royal Society on the same day. Wow, Um, that's, um, that's a big day. I think we have to listen to the Moser one as well while we're on on the subject. This is Adam Smith calling from NobelPrize.org. First of all, many congratulations on the award of the Nobel Prize. Thank you. So, uh, so Joram called me on that day, as you know, and I was crying. Uh, I, I was in shock, and I'm still in shock. <laughs> this is this is so great. Where were you when you received the call? 
I was in a meeting, so we normally have um, uh, meetings with the lab on the Monday morning to go through some data, and we had we had uh, such a great discussion. So I had another meeting waiting for me, so it was in, in the middle of two meetings, and we were discussing the, the last part of the data. And, and those days are so exciting. <laughs> <laughs> Too many exciting things to deal with at the same time, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The only, only sad thing on a day like this is that uh, Edward, uh, my husband, is still on a plane. So he doesn't know. And it's so frustrating because we can't get in touch with him. That's deeply frustrating. Yes, when and where does he land? <laughs> so he will land in uh, uh, Munich. Uh, and I think he said around one. Right. So, so there'll be a posse of people waiting for him, I imagine. Perhaps you too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that would be fantastic if there would be people waiting at the airport. He would be in shock. <laughs> <laughs> so what was that like for you, to be on the <laughs> other end of that? Oh, lovely. My Brit is such an inspiring person. Um, you know, she danced around the whole lab after she'd heard the news. I think you can see video footage of it on the web. I think what's nice about that is that she mentions the data in the call. And that's often the case, you know, that the work is absolutely at the forefront. And, you know, laureates keep on talking about the fact that they don't do their work in order to get the Nobel Prize. And part of the proof of that is that, you know, even at the moment that they're hearing that they're being awarded it, they're often still talking absolutely about the work that's going on right at that moment. And sometimes they're even just slightly annoyed by the fact that the announcement and the calls that are coming in after them are just getting in the way of doing a piece of work that they had planned for that day. Even in these moments, that deep devotion to the work comes through. Not everyone is happy about this uh, call. And 2020 Literature Laureate Louise Gluck, for example, she did not relish the conversation. And uh, let's have a listen to that. Hello. Good morning. My name is Adam Smith, calling from NobelPrize.org. Am I speaking with Louise Gluck? Yes, but are we being recorded? Because I really can't do this. I promise it won't be anything onerous. Would you mind if we recorded just two or three minutes? I don't mind, but I, I really have to have some coffee and something right now. Two minutes. Uh, You're very kind. Thank you very much indeed. Um, in that two minutes, could I ask you um, what the award of the Nobel Prize means to you? I have no idea. Um, my first thought was, I won't have any friends because most of my friends are writers. But then I thought, no, they, that won't happen. Um, uh, it's too new, you know. I I don't know really what it means, and I I don't know whether. I mean, it's a great honor, and then of course I the recipients I don't admire, but then I think of the ones that I do, and some very recent. Um, I think practically, uh, I wanted to buy another house in Ver a house in Vermont. I have a condo in Cambridge, and I thought, well, I can buy a house now. <laughs> yes. um, but. Mostly, I 
I am concerned for the preservation of daily life in with people I love. Can be an intrusion, all this it's attention. Disruptive. It's ringing all the time. It's ringing now, squeaking into my ear. I fully understand. There's so much focus at the moment on the, the value of lived experience. It's, it comes up all the time. How, how important do you think lived experience is to be able to talk about events? Oh, heavens. <laughs> I, it, too, that's too big and, and it's too early here. Oh, it's barely seven o'clock. <laughs> uh, it, I'm it's, sure there are things to say, and I'm sure I would have ideas. But, well, it's so, uh, it's so much a feature of your own writing that I wondered whether you would. But th- we could talk about it another time. Is the t- two minutes over? <laughs> it is, yes. You've suffered enough. I'm sorry. Thank you, and congratulations again. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, that's a perfect call. It, it <laughs> It's beautiful for a start. It's so honest. I um, I think it illustrates many things. One, it illustrates that the, the dilemma that um, <laughs> one finds oneself in with these calls, that you've struggled perhaps quite hard to get to speak to the person. It might be very difficult to reach them. Having got them on the line, you desperately don't want them to drop off and you have to sort of start the whole search again. And yet, in that case, you can hear how very much she doesn't want to have the call. And so you just, uh, you know, it's just a case of kind of trying gently to keep the call going. And then I get into my stride and I get my comeuppance for doing so, because she told me quite clear at the beginning that she didn't want to do that. She didn't want to do an interview. And you hear me attempting to turn it into an interview. And I, you know, I'm told to (laughs) go away. So... (laughs) absolutely right she was dead spot on and you learn as you go along i um i once on one of these calls told a politician in order to keep them on the line because i thought i was about to just lose them i said well i've just got two questions and so i asked my two questions and then he promptly disappeared and i thought hang on i haven't finished but then i realized i'd told him i was going to ask two questions and that's exactly what he let me ask the one example that's uh actually not in the archive because you didn't manage to to do an interview is is Bob Dylan. Can you talk to me about what happened there? <laughs> I tried valiantly. I do I do try. I even you know there are some we haven't got Obama's another one. I naively pursue them thinking that we might be able to get there. I did that for about 24 hours for Bob Dylan trying any any number of different um, n- numbers I could get hold of trying to track him down and I did eventually get his manager and I spoke to him and <laughs> explained what I was trying to do and he rather memorably replied hmm that doesn't really sound like Bob's kind of style and quite right it wasn't he didn't ever want to talk to me or for really anybody else from the Nobel system but uh, looking back it's just funny how kind of um dogged I am in my pursuit, even though I don't get there in the end, because frankly, I should have known from the beginning that this wasn't going to happen. But something that's really striking in lots of the interviews as well is that you're waking people up in the middle of the night, or they've been awoken by the news, and then you call them and it's still three o'clock in the morning where they are because of the time difference. And I'm, I'm wondering if 
Is there something that you get from them that you wouldn't normally get if they were in a more sort of put together situation than being in the in their pajamas, basically, in the middle of the night? <laughs> Absolutely. It, well, for a start, it's so embarrassing calling people in the middle of the line, <laughs> night. I mean, I was, you know, I was taught not to phone people when it's <laughs> the night. Um, you know, I don't want to disturb people, and you are disturbing people. And okay, it's probably a safe bet that the household has woken up if they've heard the news. But it's not certain, and you don't actually know whether they've heard the news. But it's 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 embarrassing to wake people up. Certainly, you catch people off their guard, for sure. And sometimes, I suppose that... I'm not really pushing them to say anything that they wouldn't want to say at another time. Again, it's just down to their personality. It's just listening to them in that rather exposed moment and getting to know them quite quickly because of the way they react. There are so many. I remember Bruce Boitler, after he heard the news, he happened to be moving house. It was extremely early in the morning for him, and he was just sitting in an empty room full of boxes. Nobody to tell, (laughs) nobody to talk to. There he was in the middle of the night, him and his boxes, chatting to me. It's a funny funny picture. And, yeah, sometimes they're in the shower, sometimes they're just out of the shower, sometimes they're in their pyjamas. In some cases, um, they're... They've sort of thought this is going to come before. In other cases, I think it really is a genuine surprise. Sometimes they even talk about the fact that they've absolutely expected the call before because their university press department has said, or something has told them, this is going to be the year. And then they've had the awful disappointment of it not happening. So there are as many, many variations as there are laureates. Talking about that, I think we should have listened to Oliver Hart, the 2016 Economic Sciences Laureate, who talks about how announcement season has become, has made it difficult for him to enjoy his birthdays because uh, <laughs> of it being so close, close to the actual announcement. So let's listen to that. Congratulations on the award of the prize. Well, thank you very much. I'm absolutely thrilled. <laughs> how did you hear the news? Uh, well, I got a call at about, uh, I think, two minutes past five. And it woke you? Um, <laughs> I have to admit I was awake. <laughs> was that? Uh, I hadn't been awake for long, but, uh, you know, such is life. Uh, I think I woke at about 4.40 and uh, uh, was wondering whether it was getting too late for it to be this year. But uh, then, fortunately, the phone rang. Gosh, what a thrilling feeling of excitement and relief then when it came. Uh, well, it was, yes, it was rather amazing. Am I right in thinking it was your birthday yesterday? It was, yes, it was. That's a nice present then to receive, a little later. It's a lovely present. A friend of mine said I had a, a decent shot of this for a, a few years, and it's always around my birthday, which actually makes celebrating my birthday a little tricky. <laughs> this is always in the background. <laughs> and that was certainly true yesterday. Timing. So it's going to be uh, you know, one, of the, one of the smaller benefits of winning the prizes in the future. I will be able to celebrate my birthday without thinking about it. <laughs> a minor thing, but still. It's sort of an interesting thing to, to think about, the people having sort of the, the prize cast a shadow over them because they've been told that they will receive it sooner or later. Absolutely. I think it really can become a bit of a burden for people. The, the, the classic story about this is, of course, about um, the two Australian laureates, Barry Marshall and Robin Warren. And they... Um, knew that they'd done important work and that they might one day get the Physiology or Medicine Prize. 
because this prize is always announced in the evening, Australia time, they ha they've developed an annual tradition of going for fish and chips in a pub on the evening of the announcement and watching it on the TV in Australia and having a beer and just enjoying it. And, you know, they did this for a few years and it was other people got the prize and that was fine. They just had a nice evening. And then one evening it was actually um, Barry Marshall who got a call on his cell phone from uh, Stockholm telling him the news. And then the funny part of this was that uh, they then said to him, I wonder if you can possibly help us because we've been trying to reach Robin Warren, but we can't seem to get him at home. Do you happen to have a number for him? And he said, well, no need. I can just pass the phone over. So he just passed the phone across the table to Robin and then they told Robin that he'd also won the prize. I want to talk to you about the, the Michael Kostlitz call and where you were actually the one to break the news to the 2016 Physics Laureate. Let's have a listen to it. Hello? Oh, hello. My name is Adam Smith. Um, I'm calling from Nobel Media, which is the media organisation of the Nobel Foundation in Stockholm. We run the official website for the Nobel Prize. Have you already heard the news of the announcement of the no, physics? No, I haven't heard anything. I'm talking from an underground car park in Helsinki, Finland right now, so, so, so I can barely hear you. It has just been announced in Stockholm that you are one of the recipients of the 2016 Nobel Prize in Physics. Jesus, that's incredible. <laughs> That's amazing. So the prize is given um, to yourself, uh, Duncan Haldane and David Thowles for theoretical discoveries of topological phase transitions and topological phases of matter. Oh, that's, yes, yeah, thank you. That's, uh, this is quite amazing. Thank you very much indeed. I must say you sound very calm. <laughs> uh, yes. It just feels a little bit odd getting this news in an underground car park outside Helsinki. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, maybe remaining in the underground car park is a good option because you'll be safe from the, from the onslaught of press that will now descend. Uh, true, yes, but I guess I'll have to face it eventually. I actually was given your number by your son at home and I have to say he was absolutely elated. I'm sure that he uh, is, is elated, but not half as elated as I am. <laughs> Thank you very much. Did you know that he hadn't been reached before? No, not at all. And yeah, it, it, it makes for a fun call, but you don't get to talk about much when you break the news <laughs> because, of course, there's just you just have to have spaces while there's a surprise and then you have to give rather prosaic information about who else has been awarded, etc. So um, they're, they're never calls of great depth, those ones, but it, it, they are fun. A recurring theme in these conversations is that it, this is wonderful to have to get this prize, but there's also a fear that it will be really disruptive to their work. And uh, I want to have a listen to Peter Ratcliffe, the 2019 Medicine Laureate, who talks about chasing a deadline at the same time he's receiving the prize, and that he's not too keen on becoming a public figure. It is a it's a working mor morning for you. So, um, what were you doing when the call came? Um, well, a very interesting question. Uh, I was. Um writing and will continue to write an EU synergy grant um, for 
for collaborative work with friends and colleagues in Finland and, and also my good friend and colleague Christopher Schofield. So, of course, he is on our minds at the moment, but uh, we're, we're writing a synergy grant. And um, uh, despite this good news, I guess I'll continue doing that and meet the deadline. <laughs> yes, they don't go away <laughs> no. for anything. You sound, as ever, wonderfully calm and collected. No, no I'm not calm. <laughs> yeah. But carry on. Are you are you looking forward to the storm that's about to unleash on you? Um, I, I, I'm not a tiger for publicity. Um, it's a very happy event, obviously very very satisfying and a, a reward for me. Um, uh, yeah, no, I, I, I'll, I'm happy about it. Yes, I think is a, is a, and, and comfortable with 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 talking to people such as yourself. Um, I, I'm not um, ecstatic uh, uh, about the possibility of being a public figure, if that's what one is. Um, I'll do my duty, I hope. We very much look forward to welcoming you to Stockholm in December. Yes, indeed. No, I look forward to that too. <laughs> there is an ever so slight pause before he says happy, which I think tells, says everything about <laughs> the reaction. <laughs> So, so is there a clash between being a scientifically minded person and indulging this sort of attention? I think there's a clash for many between being a productive person who's, you know, really, really keen on doing the work and what comes after the prize. It can throw people uh, off for quite a time. It can disrupt your work and laureates are... I suppose, increasingly aware that they need to quickly get control of what's about to happen and try and control their their diaries. Um, Paul Milgram, an economist, a uh, recent laureate, um, he employed his daughter to, uh, as she puts it, basically just say no for him because he's too polite to say no to everybody. But um, she, she can do it. And it's a real concern that it, you know, if you if you let it, it'll eat you up because the invitations will pour in. Not that these people are not already bombarded by invitations, but this just adds a whole another level to it. Some people, I suppose, are just made for the role, and as laureates, it just gives them a further platform to to be out there and be public figures. But most uh, Nobel laureates just want to go on doing what they were doing before. And they're happy to to serve and to you know help out with all the educational efforts and all the things that people want them to do, but they also need to fight to preserve their space. And some have been very were very explicit about it. I remember the call with Kostya Novosodov, the um, young physicist, and also I think Art Askin, where they were clearly annoyed by the fact that, that they had had their their day's experiment interrupted. Uh, is this is this entirely unexpected? Uh, it is, yes, it is. I, I certainly can detect in your voice a, 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 a somewhat surprised <laughs> attitude. Well, yeah, I mean, I was, I had quite a bit of plans for today. Yeah, now, now it looks like it looks like they're all ruined now. I, th I, I think other plans may take over. Yes, as you say. <laughs> Are you going to celebrate? Well, look, I'm writing a paper now, and I'm not that celebrating about old stuff. I got something new and important. 
I'm working on solar energy, and I think I've gotten some important stuff. And the world badly needs science in climate change. Indeed. Okay? So there are quite a lot of calls looking back because you've been doing this since 2006. And I'm, I'm wondering if you can name one or two that sort of made the most lasting impression on you. Goodness, that's a big question, Karen. <laughs> um, Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> the most lasting impression. Blimey. I mean, there have been so many. Uh, that's awfully difficult. I wish I could answer you, but... well. The, I mean, the first thing to say is that they're not really calls that, that generally generate anything, if you like, of enough importance to make a lasting impression because they're so ephemeral. They're, they're really not, you know, we don't tend to go into any depth. Hmm. It's really just the reaction of a person. So they all set one up with a better knowledge of the person than one had before. But most of the time it's not giving you a... And anything um, particularly momentous to, to to know as a result of it. But I think when you, when you talk about uh, the fact that it, nothing of really importance can be said, I, I guess in terms of of their discoveries and so on in the short format, maybe that's one of the things I like the most of it. The sort of the m- mundane quality of you catching <laughs> Olga Tukarczuk on the side of the road because she's getting too many calls to be in her car, and just seeing the person behind this achievement and just seeing ordinary life and them trying to sort of handle the situation just being people is also a, a great strength, I think. Exactly, exactly. I think that is what makes them attractive. Yeah, they're not really interviews and sometimes when I sort of try and turn them into an interview it can <laughs> it can work and sometimes it can not work, as we heard with Louise Gluck. Yeah, I'm, I used to try and do that more. I think I, I suppose in the early days I thought I ought to give a better showing of myself so I sort of tried to ask some sensible questions and uh, I remember Orhan Pamuk listening patiently to my questions and answering them and then saying right now I've been a very good boy and I've done my homework so maybe you can let me go now (laughs) (laughs) so I learned from that that maybe yeah you don't need to it doesn't need to be that it's just a it's just a a quick conversation as you say just mundane just capturing the moment all we're trying to do is to um, get a glimpse into this person's life at this amazing moment. But another massive question then, what, is there something you can say that you learned about human nature from having these conversations with these people at this time in their lives? Um, <laughs> people are nice. <laughs> <laughs> people are kind. You know, in general, um, everybody you catch wants to you know, help through trying to get the laureates, we often go through quite a sequence of other people and those people are very happy and excited and it's fun to talk to all of them. And there are lots of lovely side conversations, you know, with the assistant to the laureate or whatever, who's just so excited and thrilled by the whole thing. That also increases your kind of um, (laughs) faith in humanity that there are just so many happy nice people helping you get that get to the right place most of the time of course once in a while you you meet a block and of course the other thing that sometimes comes up is this ridiculous name adam smith which is fine for the first five <laughs> days of the announcement period the first monday through friday nobody bats an eyelid at adam smith but when we come to the next monday and it's the economics prize and i ring up 
trying to get the same person that everybody else is trying to get, saying, hello, this is Adam Smith calling from Stockholm. People sort of think, ah, maybe this is this could be a joke. And I remember being on the phone to the wife of one laureate and saying, this is Adam Smith. And, you know, he'd just received the uh, call that he'd always been hoping for. And then this joker called Adam Smith phones up and she just hung up on me. So. <laughs> Have you thought about getting an alias? <laughs> well, well, now it stands me in better stead because now it's such a joke that um, I think uh, one laureate said to me, oh, you do call, but I don't know whether he meant it was me calling or he was just joking that the 18th century economist actually calls. on the, uh, you know, the, the Nobel Prize is so important that uh, you then get called by Adam Smith himself from beyond the grave. I don't know. <laughs> What do you think it is about you as a person that sort of makes you... Because it is a lovely lesson, these calls, and I'm wondering if there is something about the way that you connect with people or the way you think about things that sort of makes you have an aptitude for this kind of thing. I don't know. My my 15-year-old tells me I'm weird and I talk to everybody too much. <laughs> I live in London and he says, Dad, you're not a city dweller because you chat all the time to everybody. You know, City dwellers just get on with their business and leave everybody else alone. You're always talking to everybody. So maybe that's it. I don't know. He, he, he sees that as a fault. Uh, <laughs> Seems useful in a situation uh, like this. Yeah, my my dad was um, a great talker to everybody, but he, in his case, had, had been very nervous as a child and had not spoken to people at all, really, when he was young. And then he suddenly discovered, I don't know what age, very early 20s, that he suddenly wasn't nervous anymore. And apparently he described that moment of great release when he suddenly realised hey, I can talk to everybody. And so he never stopped after that. So maybe it's that. I don't know. <laughs> Sounds inspiring. Yeah. No, he was an inspiring man. But then, uh, oh, I suppose if you're looking for a sort of lesson about humanity, I suppose that that's the funny thing is that it's very hard to think of a laureate who isn't inspiring. And okay, they've all done great work. But as you say, these calls capture them at a moment where, you know, you're really just listening to them as a person. You're they're reacting to a piece of news. We're not talking about their great achievement. And they tend to say things that are pretty nice. They tend to say things that, you know, it's, it's hard to listen to one of those calls and not come away with something that is inspiring, even though it's not about some great piece of work. And maybe that, what that tells you is that everybody's inspiring. Maybe, maybe everybody has good things to say if you listen to them. It's a nice thought. I don't know if it's true, but I like the thought anyway. <laughs> you just heard a bonus episode of Nobel Prize Conversations. If you enjoyed hearing these calls, you can hear Adam's brand new interviews with the 2021 laureates beginning on October the 4th, published as they happen. Find them on ACAST or wherever you listen to podcasts. On NobelPrize.org, you can follow the 2021 Nobel Prize announcements each day with live streams and complete prize information. And on October the 14th, we launch our new season, where we welcome guests from all six prize categories. Physics laureate Didier Collot, Literature laureate Wale Soinka, Medicine laureate Elizabeth Blackburn, Chemistry laureate Joachim Frank, Economic Sciences laureate Paul Milgram, and Peace Laureate, Leima Bowie. Nobel Prize Conversations is a podcast series with Adam Smith, a co-production of Filt and Nobel Prize Outreach. The producer for this episode was Karin Svensson. The editorial team also includes Andrew Hart, 
Olivia Lundquist, Magnus Yilier, and me, Claire Brilliant. Music by Epidemic Sound. Thanks for listening. If you're passionate about the Nobel Prize, you won't want to miss a single episode of our podcast. Be sure to subscribe. We're available on Acast, Amazon Music, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, GeoSarvan, Spotify, and many, many more popular platforms.